I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servants does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Father, we invite you here this morning. We invite you to tamper with us a little bit. We invite you to shift around things in our lives that need shifted around. We invite you to sift out things in our lives that need sifted out. And more than anything, we invite you to come. We confess that we want you this morning. So please come and be with us. More than anything this morning, we commit this time together to your glory, not to mine, not to ours as a church, but to yours. Pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and by the power of his spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you this morning. This is really exciting uh, for me. Uh, Like Nathan said earlier, my name is Taylor Fair, and I serve as the executive pastor at our Brookside campus. Uh, So I spend most of our time actually with middle school and high school students. So teenagers in the room, just know uh, your parents are fine, uh, but you're my people, okay? So you're my people, uh, and that's, that's what I love doing. And if you heard the name Fair, and you're like, wow, that last name sounds a little bit familiar, uh, that's because Cameron is my brother. So you might remember Cameron if you've been around a while. This is about the most normal picture I could find of us. Um, so this is our, our most normal moment, um, but uh, that's, that's fun. We both grew up together uh, in a small town in central Kansas called Sterling. Uh, And it's there that I met uh, the most beautiful girl that I had ever seen. She was uh, in middle school at the time, and so was I. Um, (laughs) Clear that up. Uh, And at that time in my life, uh, I was one of the more 
round guys at school. Round, I guess I could use that word. Uh, so talking to attractive girls was kind of a big deal for me. And we were on the way walking home from a field trip, class field trip to the local gas station, which is a thing when you grow up in a small town. And we were on our way home. We were walking next to each other. We were talking for a little bit. And as we got closer to the school, she was like, Taylor, uh, I have a question for you. I was wondering, would you want to go to youth group with me? Now, I had grown up in church, but up until that point, there wasn't a single youth group in our town. This is, again, small town for you, seven churches, zero youth groups. Um, And so I knew about church, but I wasn't really familiar with youth group. I had no idea what to expect, but like I said, I was round, so this is basically a date for me. (laughs) And I soon learned what we all learn at some point in life. Cute girls fade, and Jesus lasts right? Cute girls fade, Jesus lasts. She disappeared pretty quickly from my life and from the youth group, but soon I had found my home, I had found my family, I had found my closest friendships and community, my best memories, and I tangibly encountered the love of God in youth group with this family. And my life was forever changed. As God's spirit was moving in my life, I saw myself transforming at a rapid rate, And over the next seven or eight years of my faith, as it really grew, the growth and change and transformation just seemed natural and inevitable. But starting partway through college, I noticed something shift a little bit. Growth just seemed harder. And the next seven or eight years, the fruit of my relationship with Jesus was a lot more difficult to see. I felt like I was slowly becoming more stagnant. Like I was losing touch with my friendship and intimacy with my king. I wonder if any of you have had a similar experience. Maybe the first few years of your faith were were full of, of vibrancy and change and growth, but at some point, it started to level out and maybe even fade a little bit. And now maybe your belief in God didn't change. Maybe you still believed in God, but you found yourself asking questions like this. Is this all there is? Isn't there supposed to be more? I have God's spirit in me. Why am I not seeing any fruit? Why does it sometimes feel like my faith in Jesus is withering and my friendship with Jesus is waning? Have you been there? We're continuing this morning to walk through as a church these words that Jesus said to his disciples on the final night of his life in the Gospel of John. It spans chapters 13 through 17. And in the central chapter that Patrick read for us earlier, uh, chapter 15 that we're exploring this morning, there's one overarching image that dominates the entire chapter. A ton of themes, but one image really captures you. You might have already been familiar with it if you, when you heard it read earlier. Uh, it's the image of a vine. A vine and some branches and a gardener and some fruit. And here's what I want to submit to you this morning. I think that if we really grasp what Jesus is trying to drill into his disciples here with this imagery of a vine and branches, we will have a better understanding of the moments when our faith feels like a shriveled plant instead of a fruitful branch. So I'm unofficially calling this sermon, How to Wither Your Friendship with Jesus. Now you don't like set out to do that, but how do you you wither your friendship with Jesus And we're going to find this morning in John 15, uh, three surefire steps to a wilting faith. Three surefire ways to wither in your friendship with Jesus. And I can say with certainty, just from experience, that every time in my life that I have felt arid 
dry, far from God, fruitless. I was doing one of these three things that we're going to talk about this morning. And I want to suggest that if you find yourself in a similar place coming into these doors of this church this morning, that there might be a good chance that you're doing one of these three things too. Now, maybe you're here and you're not even following Jesus right now. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you've wondered, why do people who say they know Jesus not usually manifest the kind of life it seems like they should have? If that's you, we're just going to walk through some things this morning that can keep us from that kind of life. But for all of us, I think that when we come to terms with Jesus' words in John 15, we will have a better understanding of those moments when we feel dry, hollow, unproductive, and what it will take to recover vitality and fruitfulness in our faith. Got the flow? Got where we're headed? We good? All right, let's dive in. If you haven't already, please open with me to John chapter 15. We're going to pick it up starting just in verse 1. So John 15, we'll start in verse 1. Read along with me. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit... He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Stop there. So here we find in these first three verses the first step to withering in our apprenticeship to Jesus. Here it is. Resist the Father's pruning. Resist the Father's pruning. The vineyard uh, was a common image to describe the people of Israel. It was a pretty core to their national identity. If you read the Hebrew scriptures, you pretty quickly gather this idea that Israel was supposed to be a vineyard that God planted and cultivated so that it would produce good fruit for the world around. That was the, the goal, the purpose. That's why this imagery is important. But in one passage in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 5, God goes looking for the good fruit in his people. He says, I planted you here. I cultivated you for good fruit. I'm looking around for good fruit, but all I see is bad fruit. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's basically saying, I am the true Israel. Like I'm producing the fruit the gardener looked for but couldn't find in his people. That's now me. I am the true vine. And you are the branches. And it's in this context that Jesus introduces this idea of pruning. Pruning. Pruning continues to be a common horticultural practice today. Those of you with a green thumb might understand a little bit of how it works. When a plant is pruned, what happens? Part of it gets cut away, right? The gardener takes a knife and cuts back the branch. And Jesus is saying to his disciples here, this same sort of thing is going to happen to you. You're like, yikes, that sounds painful. But here's what we can't miss. Although it sounds painful, pruning is actually a good thing. In verse 2, Jesus says it's not the bad branches that get pruned. They get cut too in a different way. But it's the ones that are already bearing fruit that he prunes. In other words, pruning doesn't just cut away dead stuff. It cuts away good stuff. Stuff that's already growing. Stuff that looks so good gets cut away because the gardener wants to make it even better. Or we could say it like this. Pruning is preparation for greater fruitfulness. Pruning is preparation for greater fruitfulness. 
Jesus is reminding his disciples here that there is a preparatory mercy in seasons of pruning. There's a preparatory mercy in those moments when we see God cutting away things that look so good. It might be relationships or goals or ambitions or opportunities. When we see him cutting away things that look so good in order to produce things that are even better in us. And it's in these pruning seasons when we rightly ask God, God, why is this happening? And I think in those moments, God is saying something like this. Because what is coming might crush you in either its goodness or its difficulty if you aren't ready for it. I'm working in these things to prepare you for greater fruitfulness in what might be even harder seasons. Because that's the thing about grapevines, right? One of the reasons they were an important plant in the ancient Near East is that they survived and bore fruit even in seasons of drought. And can I just suggest this morning that sometimes there are things that need to be cut back so that we can flourish in all kinds of weather. And when we resist the pruning, we stunt our growth. But it's in these moments of life when we feel like stuff's being taken away, that we're tempted to ask God and think God is furthest from us. Like these are the moments where God is the furthest away from me. But I think scholar N.T. Wright is spot on when he says this. This is really good. The vine dresser is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has a knife in his hand. He's never closer than when he has the knife in his hand. And I think he's right. In fact, I know it because I've experienced it. So let me share with you, I have seen this bear true in my own life. My wife, Ashton, uh, and I have been married for almost seven years, which is crazy to think about. That's us and our, our little boy, Hudson. And this month has been four years since we started trying to get pregnant. And let me tell you, it's just been hard. It's been painful. We have wept more and asked more questions these past four years than ever before. And the first two years of our journey, if I'm honest, looking back, I really, really resisted God. I drifted from Jesus. I avoided the Spirit. I stopped meeting with Him regularly because the pain just pushed me away. But these past two years, I have been slowly allowing God to show me how He was shaping me to bloom in the desert of infertility. I began to submit to the ways that he wanted to form me and prepare me through this season. In other words, it wasn't the suffering itself, but closing myself off from the Father in the middle of suffering that caused my faith to really wilt. I want to be careful here. What I'm not trying to say is God sends you bad things to teach you lessons. Like God gave us the suffering of infertility so we could learn something. But what I am saying is that God has been pruning me as we have been in a season of suffering and waiting. He's using it to dig up things that I didn't even realize were there before. Stuff I needed to deal with in myself, in my marriage, in my faith. So like Joseph in Genesis 50, I can say, you intended it for evil, God meant it for good. That's where I've been. So let me just ask you this morning, are there ways that the Father might be pruning you right now? Are there good things that are getting cut back or dug up or cut off completely in your life? And if you can think of those things, ask yourself, have you responded by yielding or resisting? 
Have you responded to the pruning by yielding to him or resisting it? That's the first step to withering in your friendship with Jesus, to resist the Father's pruning. Here's the second one we see in John 15. Disconnect from Jesus and his people. Disconnect from Jesus and his people. Let's keep reading John 15, starting in verse 4. It says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, So I have loved you. Abide in my love. So here's the second idea, to disconnect from Jesus and his people. The key word that's repeated over and over again, you probably heard it a ton throughout that section, is the word abide. And it's the Greek word minnow, and it just carries this idea of consistent connection and rest. This idea of remaining with or in something. And we can hear these words a lot to where we forget how remarkable what Jesus is saying here. It's remarkable. He says, abide in me and I abide in you. He's talking about something mutual, a mutual abiding where we remain in Jesus and Jesus remains in us. This is really beautiful language of of intimate friendship and connection to Jesus. And Jesus makes it clear in this section, that it is only the branch that abides in the true vine that actually grows and bears fruit. It's only the one that abides in the vine. Why? He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, there is no real fruit that does not have its source in the vine. There's no such thing. Martin Schleske is a German violin maker and theologian, which is just such an awesome combination of things to be. Um, And he wrote a book that explores connections between the world of music and his craft and the Christian life. And here's what he says about this passage. I think this is really brilliant. He says, God lets us participate with him in life. The joining of a musician and an instrument is a picture of this unity. The instrument gives itself completely into the hands of the musician. And the musician is fully immersed in the instrument's sound. A branch does not produce fruit if it does not remain in the vine, but we are too quick to overlook the reverse. Neither does the vine produce fruit if it has no branches. This is both the humility of God and humility of being human. The awareness of this mutuality is essential for a spirit-filled life. Abide in me and I in you, the instrument wholly in the hands of the musician, And the musician entirely in the sound of the instrument. Within this experience of becoming one, the meaning of our existence is fulfilled. That's the picture of abiding unity with Jesus here. So what he's saying in this section goes something like this. If you remain connected to me, if you abide in me, if you rest in me, if you intentionally cultivate intimacy with me in the quiet places where no one's watching, in prayer, in meditation on my words... Then you will bear fruit, and only then. But it's more than that, too. Because to be connected to the true vine, 
also means that we are connected to the other branches, right? If you're connected to the vine, you're also connected to the other branches. So Jesus is also saying something like this. If you remain connected to my people, if you come to church, if you show up in small groups, if you pray and worship together, if you bear each other's burdens, then you will bear fruit. Connection to Jesus, connection to his people. When I was in college, as a sophomore, I met another girl, even more beautiful than the middle school girl, and so I married her. This is us at our wedding, pretty excited. Back when we were first starting to know each other, a couple weeks after our first date, we hadn't really gone on a second date, but we'd been talking a little bit, I had the opportunity to go to the Royals' first playoff game in 29 years. Does anyone remember that game, the wild card game against the A's? I mean, that was an incredible game. That's one of the best sporting experiences I've ever seen in, in my life. And the whole time I'm there, I've been texting Ashton, but I noticed as I'm waiting that the, and standing in the standing room only that the, the, my phone battery is getting lower and lower. And pretty soon in about the eighth inning, it got down to like 1%. And I was like, all right, this game's pretty close to being over. That's not a big deal. And then I received a text at 1% that said, so I would be open to going out again if you would. And boom, my phone died, right? <laughs> of course. Which wouldn't have been a huge deal. Like I said, it was pretty close to the end. If the game didn't end up going 14 innings, the whole time I was enjoying and celebrating this walk-off when the atmosphere was electric, and I was just thinking in my head, I blew it with this girl. I blew it with this girl, so she's going to think I don't want to see her again. And it wasn't until 3 a.m. when we pulled into an IHOP, not the prayer place, but the pancake place, we pulled into the IHOP, and I rushed to a power source and plugged in my phone, and it, it turned on, and, and what popped up on my screen was, or not, dot, 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 with those, like, see no evil monkeys, right? Three of them. So I hurried to text back and make it right. Thankfully, it all worked out. Some of you have been hanging on at 1% for a while now. You've left on in the background the apps of people's criticism, of your disappointments with God, of your disappointments with the church, and you've let them drain your battery and disconnect you from God and Jesus himself and his people. So let me ask you, are you intentionally cultivating intimacy with your friend Jesus? Are you tethering yourself to deep friendships in the church? Or are you slowly distancing yourself from Jesus and his people? Jesus tells us if we want our friendship with him to wither, we need to resist the Father's pruning, and we need to disconnect from the vine and the branches. Here's the final step. Underestimate the joy of obedience. If you want to wither in your friendship with Jesus, underestimate the joy of obedience. Let's keep reading the rest of this in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So how do you abide? Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's stop there for a second. Jesus says here that the best way to abide in him and stay in his love is to keep his commands. Keep his commands. And with it, he makes this remarkable promise again that if we obey his commands, we will not just have joy, but we will get his joy. That our joy will be filled up with Jesus' own joy. Friends, we have to get to a place where we are able to rediscover the deep joy found in obeying Jesus. 
This place where our highest pleasure is pleasing him by doing what he says. That's the kind of vision that he's giving us here. Now, if you're like me, you recoil a little bit when you hear that because we want to avoid legalism, right? We don't want to be legalistic about it. Can I just say, it's not legalistic to obey Jesus. That's not what legalism is. I went to a conference this past October, and one of the pastors there said something that's just been burning in my spirit over the last few months. Here's what he said. We live in a culture that is so lukewarm that anything that even resembles discipleship is dismissed as legalism. Let me say that again. We live in a culture that is so lukewarm that anything that even resembles discipleship is dismissed as legalism. But Jesus says here, far from being legalism, you show me love by keeping my commands. As Pastor Tom likes to say, Jesus' love language is obedience. That's how he receives love. And he says, this is how you abide in me. You want to abide in me? Obey me. That's how I loved the Father was by obeying his will, and that's how you love me. We often underestimate the joy we will find when we obey his commands and overestimate the happiness we think we'll have when we don't. Because obedience is sometimes demanding, but it is never drudgery. It is sometimes hard, but it is never hopeless. Obedience sometimes means dying to yourself, but when you die to yourself, you actually find your true self. Obedience sometimes means saying no to things that we think will make us happy, but it leads always to the discovery of a deep and lasting joy. Now remember, this is something that's learned over time. It's only through slowly and quietly and, can I say, imperfectly building a history of obeying Jesus' commands that we finally learn this joy. He tells us exactly what it looks like. Look with me at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and do what? Bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide. That's the same word. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So what command does Jesus care most for us to keep? What's the pinnacle of our obedience? Did you hear it? Love one another. In particular, love one another the way that I have loved you. If the disciples succeed in loving each other like this, this sacrificial love, Jesus says they will learn the joy of obedience. They will be able to withstand the hatred of the world. And Jesus says they will produce fruit that abides, fruit that lasts. That's that same word, abide, remain. In fact, he says the whole reason I took the initiative to make you my friends in the first place, what was the point of it? So that you would go and produce fruit. And not just fickle fruit, but fruit that lasts. I don't know about you, but I'm convinced that cotton candy is the most disappointing food in the world. Because what happens? You pay a ton of money, and it tastes good for like three seconds, right? And then it disappears. Friends, the church of Jesus today has too much cotton candy faith and not enough lasting fruit. 
Too much cotton candy faith that disappears and not enough lasting fruit. The kind of fruit that only remains through loving obedience. So let me ask you, how do you view the commands of Jesus? Are there places right now this morning that you can look to in your life where you are willfully or unwillfully disobeying Jesus? Are there opportunities to sacrificially love others that you've been avoiding and disobeying him that way? How do you view the commands of Jesus? At the end of the day, John 15, Jesus is encouraging his disciples that the keys to a fruitful life, to recovering that connection and vibrancy, are submission, intimacy, and loving obedience. And maybe you're here this morning, you feel like your friendship with Jesus is withering. It's drying out. Maybe it's been hanging on at 1% battery for a while. And if that's you, just honestly ask yourself, is one of these three things missing in my life? Am I resisting, pruning? Am I disconnecting from Jesus or the church? Am I disobeying Jesus? Is one of those things missing? And if it is, Pursue the other thing. Connect yourself to Jesus. Submit yourself to the Father's will. Lovingly obey him by loving others. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you are deeply abiding in Jesus right now. There is growth, there is fruit, there is vibrancy, vitality everywhere. I just want to encourage you to lean in more. That the more you lean into these three things, the more you yield, the more you yoke yourself to Jesus, the more you lovingly obey him, the deeper that connection becomes. Don't let the growth and fruit and vibrancy that you feel right now make you think that it's you and forget about the vine who, without whom you can do nothing. Finally, you may be here this morning and you haven't ever been connected to the true vine. In fact, maybe it's partly because of Christians who haven't produced good fruit that you've kept your distance a little bit. And if that's you, I just want to speak a word over you this morning. Jesus wants to graft you into the vine. The God of the universe wants you to be filled with his love and joy. He wants you to be joined to him, to have this deep and intimate, mutual, abiding relationship with him. He wants you to have your source in him so that you can flourish in life. Jesus wants to graft you into the vine this morning. And if that hit you a little bit, if you feel like maybe that word was spoken specifically by God to you this morning, come find me, come find Nathan, come find Nikki, go find another branch that you don't know in the the vineyard yet, and talk to them. Wherever you're coming from, I am getting a sense that God might be calling us to somewhere that we don't really want to go this morning. He might be calling us somewhere that if we're honest, we really don't want to go there, God. He might be calling us to cut back something that looks good, to rearrange our schedules for daily friendship with him. He might be inviting us to dive deeper into the mess of real community. He might be inviting you to step out in faith for the first time and be joined to him. He might be calling us somewhere we don't really want to go. 
And all week I've been thinking about this moment and my favorite story. Uh, my favorite story is Lord of the Rings. And the fellowship is about to go on the darkest and hardest part of the journey through the mines of Moria. And they're all terrified. They don't want to go there. And in the, the book, we read this exchange. I don't wish to enter it even once, said Pippin, classic Pippin. Nor me, muttered Sam. Of course not, said Gandalf. Who would? But the question is, will you follow me if I lead you there? The question is, will you follow me if I lead you there? Now, of course, if you know the story, you know that on that very journey in Moria, Gandalf would lay down his life for his friends. And of course, if you know the story, you know that less than 24 hours after he said these words in John 15, Jesus would do the same and lay down his life for his friends.